What's up, family? You are tuned into Law and Disorder, a podcast where we expose the cracks in our system, agitate for resistance, and collectively build a new world in which all of us can thrive. From KPFA Radio and the Pacifica Network, I'm your host, Kat Brooks. Law enforcement agencies have been accessing patient prescription records from pharmacies like uh, Kroger and Rite Aid and CVS. Get this without warrants. A congressional investigation has found um, consumers are often not aware that their private information is being handed over to authorities. Um, And lawmakers actually surveyed eight major pharmacy chains, CVS, Health, Walgreens, Boots Alliance, Cigna, Optum, RX, Walmart Stores, Inc., the Kroger Company, and Rite Aid Corp., along with Amazon Pharmacy. Only Amazon Pharmacy said it had a policy of informing customers when law enforcement requested their records. Of course, none of us are really messing with Amazon right now. And none of the companies said it requires a warrant before providing pharmacy records to law enforcement agencies. I want to talk about what this could mean for women and girls post the Dobbs decision, and so... Our guest this morning is the one and only Imani Gandhi, editor-at-large for Rewire News Group. She also co-hosts the podcast, Boom Lawyer. Good morning, Imani. Good morning, Kat. How are you? I'm, I mean, it's, it's a fun time to be living in Colorado, I'll just say that. <laughs> but that's definitely not the topic of this particular interview. <laughs> no, you all got a lot going on out there, actually. I just covered uh, the story about the cops that murdered Elijah McClain. Um, yes, not only walking, yes. but getting their job back. And you got to help foot the back pay for that. Yeah, that's a good time officer. for all of us here. <laughs> it's just, yeah. yeah, things are chaotic, for sure. Well, more good times, Amani. When did this um, come across your radar, and what were your first thoughts? Medical records, going to law enforcement, no patient in, uh, in, in, informed process. Yeah, no I mean, there was the, 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 the recent oversight inquiry, you know, reveals a lot of privacy issues when it comes to pharmacies handing over our medical records to law enforcement without a subpoena, um, with nothing more than a subpoena, right? With no warrant and without notifying the customer. And people seem to think that, oh, well, there was a subpoena. So clearly that's some sort of, you know, formal legal document. But you have to remember that when there's litigation ongoing between parties about almost anything, either side can issue subpoenas about almost anything, right? That's how broad um, courts allow for discovery, which is the process by which either side finds facts that'll help their case. So if you have a case and the opposing counsel is going through your CVS records or your Walgreens records and ask, and they've asked for these records and they've just gone into a pharmacy and a staff member has seen this legal document that they think they must comply with or else they'll be held in contempt or sanctioned in some way, they're going to regular pharmacy staffers and just asking for records and those records are being handed over. And what's even more concerning is because of the way that these pharmacies are networked, right? You can be, you can live in California and you can have someone go into a Walgreens in Colorado and ask for your records and those records will be turned over if the person sees a subpoena and thinks that they have to. So post Dobbs, there's a lot of surveillance and criminalization of pregnant people through these violations of their medical privacy. And as soon as Dobbs fell, I was telling people to tell anyone of reproductive capacity and age to be very careful about their digital footprint. And you can be as careful as you can be about your digital footprint, but if your pharmacy is selling you out to law enforcement, then everything that you can be doing personally to keep yourself safe from being ensnared by overzealous people who are looking to criminalize abortion providers or abortion seekers, all of that protection that you're taking on for yourself doesn't matter 
if your pharmacy is just handing out your records willy nilly. Imani, I'm uh, Imani. I'm imagining that my listeners are, are much like me when I was when I read this. What about HIPAA? That doesn't protect us. No, I mean HIPAA has a lot. It is a lot less protective than people think it is. When it comes to HIPAA, HIPAA allows the turning over of medical records pursuant to a warrant or a subpoena, and so that just goes back to my original point to point where subpoenas I don't think are formal enough and aren't sort of sanctioned enough by the state to warrant that kind of incursion right a warrant means you have to go to a judge you have to make your case you have to talk about probable cause why it is you need these records and then the judge will make a decision with the subpoena you can just fill out a form and have your lawyer send it out to the pharmacy and if the pharmacy receives this and they don't have a policy to send it to their legal team to their corporate team for review then you've got low-level staffers at pharmacies across the country just handing out records with no, with no, you know, oversight essentially. So HIPAA does not protect against this, and that's why there's been a call from people like Representative Jayapal and Jacobs and uh, Ron Wyden to require the Health and Human Services Agency to revise their HIPAA re- uh, regulations in order to protect medical records from this sort of warrantless law enforcement demand. Imani, we'll talk about it more in a bit if we, we have the time, right? Like since, since post-ops, we have seen law enforcement going after women in all sorts of, of manners to criminalize them for making decisions uh, about their, their bodies and their reproductive choices. Um, we've even seen, we, we, we had um, some folks on talking about the, the lung float test, right? Mm, Criminalizing yes. women who, who have stillbirths at home, um, post dobs and the uptick of that. Play out for my listeners how bad this could be for a woman who accesses, say, the abortion pill in a state, you know, next door to the state that she lives in and the state that she lives in has made that illegal. Well, the thing is, is we don't know what we don't know exactly what is necessary, what is going to happen if, for example, a person in Texas where abortion is banned essentially outright goes to a pharmacy across the state, you know, has a, does a self-managed abortion out of state and then returns to Texas. These are the sort of gray areas and nuances where we don't know what's going to happen. What is clear is that if a person, a pregnant person in Texas goes to a Walgreens in Texas and somehow manages to get abortion pills or gets abortion pills mailed to her in Texas and completes an abortion in Texas, that can that can open up the person who provided the pills or the person who helped her, who drove her to the drugstore to liability, to criminal liability under the Texas bounty hunter law. But what happens if that person gets up, goes to another state? and gets abortion pills. And then the Walgreens in Texas tries to get those records from the out-of-state Walgreens, right? These are very thorny issues that still have to be played out in court. But what all of this serves to do is to scare people out of getting health care that they may need out of getting health care through legal avenues. Right. Because the problem is, if you live in Texas, it's really hard to know what's legal and what's not. And so that makes people who, you know, aren't particularly well versed in the law. And frankly, most people aren't particularly well versed in the law because they're just going about their day trying to feed their families, going to work. They don't have time to parse through statutes and statutes and HHS regulations to figure out what their rights are. So what it does is it just tamps down access even more, even if some of those people would be able to access the care legally. So, I mean, what it is, is it's a it's a legal morass 
that people are in, that the state of Texas and other abortion hostile states have you know, sort of willfully imposed on people, knowing that it's going to scare people out of health care, knowing that it's going to scare doctors and providers out of providing that health care and basically making it so that we have entire states that are essentially abortion deserts now. So Congress has opened up this inquiry and gone through, you know, the their investigative process. What can they do? What can congressional Democrats do to maybe shore up HIPAA? Um, maybe protect folks? Um, and, and what do you see moving here? Sure, they can require um, companies to, to send these kinds of requests to their legal department before responding to the demands, right? I mean, that's that's just a simple, basic thing that can be done. And essentially, that's going to require a revision of HIPAA regulations and whether or not that can happen in the short period of time before we have the next election and potentially another president is unclear because certainly... You know, a Donald Trump president isn't going to care very much about the HIPAA um, protections and privacies of pregnant patients. But what HHS needs to do is to, you know, revise these HIPAA regulations, protect these medical records from this sort of warrantless incursion, and then really follow up with each of these individual pharmacies, each of their corporate teams to figure out what it is that you are doing to protect these records, because it's it's very critical now that they be protected because the, the you know the downside of not protecting them is more and more pregnant people being entrapped by overzealous prosecutors or being entrapped in states where their rights have been taken away when it comes to reproductive health care and autonomy. You mentioned the upcoming presidential, and as I was preparing to talk to you about this, there were a couple articles that mentioned that there's a push for Biden to make reproductive rights a central part of his platform, but perhaps some resistance that appears from his team. What do you think the resistance is, and how important is it that he actually does this as he campaigns over the next, what are we at, 14 months now? 13, something like Yeah, I think it is absolutely critical for, for Democrats, for Biden, to make abortion rights the central plank of their platform. I mean, Biden is not a fan of abortion, but he is not a, let's say, a he's not the person that's going to sign into law a national abortion ban. But the man is very clearly uncomfortable with abortion. He doesn't like saying the word. And I think that's partly why he sort of pushed Kamala Harris out in front to take on this new conversation that we're going to be having over the next 14 months about reproductive health care. And I think it's important that Kamala Harris is on the front lines doing that, A, because she's a black woman, B, because of the, the horrific black maternal mortality rates in this country. I mean, this is a conversation that we need to be having widely. And, you know, the other clear reason that Democrats need to lean in on abortion is because in every election since Roe fell, when abortion was on the ballot, people who were pro-choice, people who were pro-abortion won. And so it's clear that there is a there is not a stomach for the sort of regressive Republican policies when it comes to abortion. But the problem with, for example, states like Texas is that they are gerrymandered and voter suppressed. And so even though there are a lot of people in Texas who disagree with Republican policies about abortion, they can't vote in the people who are going to represent them the way they want to be represented. And so I really do think it's incumbent upon Biden and Harris, as she's doing, to continue to elevate this conversation to to the forefront. It needs to be at the forefront because it's the most critical issue right now affecting women and girls and particularly pregnant people. We have this and then we have gender affirming care and trans bans. Those are the two twin issues that are affecting the most marginalized people, the most minoritized people in this country right now. And I think if Biden doesn't lean into it, 
then I think that's I think it's it's a it's a big mistake. It's going to be a big mistake. And I can see a world where the administration wants to lean in on how the economy is doing better and there are more jobs. But the problem with that argument is that even though the economy is doing better by numbers, people don't feel that it's doing better. And unfortunately, that's a right. lot of times people vote based on vibes, right? They vote based on how they feel. And I think the abortion issue is a better issue. It's a more solid issue. And it's an issue that a lot of Democrats can agree on. Not a lot of Democrats are going to agree on that the economy is doing better and the job market is just hunky dory, which is what I think a lot of people are sort of encouraging Democratic voters to think, even though that's not how they feel. Yeah, and I guess I would just also say that it, it abortion rights and and um, getting rid of trans bans may be the two top issues in order for Biden to get back into favor with young progressive voters that he has fallen grossly out of favor with um, as the United States continues to allow a genocide to happen in Palestine. Um, this is the first time that I've seen people openly saying, I'm just not going to do it. I'm not going to vote for a genocide. Absolutely. Absolutely. And he has to, he's got to do something. I mean, and he's clearly not going to stop funding this, this genocide. So what he needs to do is he needs to make the case that, you know, a Donald Trump presidency with respect to foreign policy isn't going to be any different. In fact, it will be be worse, which is, you know, it's unfortunate to have to lean into that as a Democrat. Well, Democrats are being terrible when it comes to foreign policy, but Trump is going to be worse. But I think if we focus on domestic policy, whatever the fo- foreign policy is going to be, it's going to be bad with respect to Israel. But there is such a vast difference between a Biden presidency and a Trump presidency when it comes to domestic issues. And I hope that that's something that the Biden team can lean in on and make clear to these young Gen Z voters who, as you said, are fed up with what's going on in Israel. Money Gandy, it's always a pleasure to talk to you, even though we never get to talk about good things. Um, I appreciate you on the show. Thank you so much. It's my pleasure. Thank you. You've been listening to Law and Disorder, a podcast where we expose the cracks in our system, agitate for resistance, and collectively build a new world in which all of us can thrive. That's it for this episode, family. You can find more information about topics and guests in this episode's show notes. Law and Disorder is produced at KPFA. That's listener-supported radio on the Pacifica Network. The show is produced by Jesse Strauss and hosted by me, Kat Brooks. Our theme music was composed by Steve Raskin of Fort Knox 5. If you like what you heard, please follow us on social media at Law and Dis, that's D-I-S, and subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. Feel free to holler at us about something you heard or send us a show idea at lawanddisorder at kpfa.org. You can also find our content live at 8 a.m. weekdays on KPFA. That's 94.1 FM in the Bay Area. Our show and all of KPFA's programs are funded exclusively by you, the listener. And if you're in a position to support us, please donate today at kpfa.org. Take care of yourself and take care of each other. We all we got, fam.